Mike Demerges here with Hall of Fame running back Larry Zonka. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk some USFL football, we'll reminisce about the good old days in the 80s and the 70s as well. Uh, Super Bowl MVP when you beat my Vikings in, in Super Bowl eight. Also with us is uh, Nick Maddich. He's an attorney and, and lead counsel on the USFL versus Fox. So, but let's let's talk about the, the good old days of the USFL and how you got involved with that, Larry. Well, it comes down to a guy named Fred Bullard. He was the owner of the Jacksonville Bulls, who hadn't even been named yet. That was still up in the air. And he called me and said, uh, I'd like you to be affiliated with the team. And I said, well, in what respect, Fred? And he said, um, we'd like to select some players from the NFL. We need someone to be a go-between that might be able to reach those players and see if we can draw some players over from the NFL. And I said, I'd like that. I'm retired. I'd like that. He said, the other thing we have to do is just a little kind of side thing is we'd like to get the, the, uh, the, the Gators, the Hurricanes, and the Bulldogs fan clubs of those three respective schools, Florida State, University of Florida, and University of Georgia, to uh, all come together and support a common pro football team. And I, uh, I sat up and put the phone a little closer and said, you want to do what? I said, it's one thing to start a new football team <laughs> in, this, in the United States Football League. It's something else to get Gators and Hurricane fans to support a common thing. I said, that's going to be quite a task. I said, the uh, part about the NFL players would be pretty easy, but the part about getting those booster clubs would be a common, come together for a common uh, purpose with a new professional franchise may be a real challenge. Make a long story short, because I like to make short stories long, so I'll, I'll cut to the chase. When the Jersey Generals came down and played in the Gator Bowl, those three fan clubs that I alluded to earlier put 72,000 people, 72,000 and change in one common game. Now, you talk about being a credible league. I enjoyed that perhaps as much as some of the games I played in the, in the playoffs in the NFL. To stand there and realize what we had accomplished in such a short time, to put that many people together that were used to booing and, and hissing at each other, to give them a common goal and put that together was quite an enterprise, was quite an undertaking. And to stand there in front of 72,000 or 73,000 people and see that happen, let me tell you something, all those fans and sons and daughters of those fans remember that day. It was quite a day in the Gator Bowl. I remember the game uh, when, when, the, when the generals being down there, like you said, the 70,000 fans, the emotion and the roar of the crowd. And I remember one particular game, the generals wound up winning 28 to 26 but there was a the, the, the Bulls had a game winning field goal and the, and the the ref said it, it didn't it didn't go over the upright it went it went a little to the to the right of it and it looked like it went it looked like it was good and the, and the Bulls should have won 29 28 i remember that game vividly where's Gary with your premium when you really need him you know <laughs> so talk about the players you had on that team yeah yeah Keith Millard Mike Rogier you you made a deal for Brian Sipe and let's not forget about Vaughn Johnson my god what what an impact he had with Jim Moore and the Saints as, as Sam Mills joined him from the USFL and Bobby Bear. Well, the names go on and on, and the, the stories trickle down over the decades now. That You see, that's, that's the point of this thing. That's the point of it, it lives on. When you do something that monumental in the world of sports, when you get those kind of folks together and you get that many people to show up to watch it, You've created something that just doesn't go away. People talk about that for generations. 
And that's, uh, that's the whole thrust of this. When I heard about what was happening and someone was stepping in and just taking the name, I thought, well, that's just crazy uh, because, the, you know, we were the epitome of going from not just an open fertile ground, but a fertile ground where there was three people that did, or three groups that didn't like each other. We had to get them together, formulate that, and then, and then put a football field, uh, put players on a football field that were credible, that could support that kind of enthusiasm and react to it and play that way. And we did all that in like uh, yeah, 14 to 16 months from the time that Fred Bullard called me till the time that happened was like 14 or 15 months. Think about that. You know, that's a, that's a real undertaking and it's a testimony to Fred Bullard's in, uh, enthusiasm and belief in it plus a lot of money that he put into it to create that. That just doesn't go away. Whenever I go to Jacksonville, whenever I'm around fans that were the fans of the Bulls, they come up. If I go to a game up there now, the current team there, old Bulls fans come up to me wearing their hat, you know, and start talking about the days when we, when we did that, what a great time it was. So that just doesn't fade off and blow into the wind and blow away as dust. That kind of enthusiasm, that kind of turnaround, turnaround that quickly lives on. And it certainly does. And, and people, my generation, uh, 15 years ago, I wrote a book about the USFL and it originally just started off as an idea of doing a thesis project and it, and it ballooned into something bigger because the, the passion, the emotion, the kinship, the brotherhood of the USFL still lives on to this day. And, and it certainly felt in the, in the, in the fans, I believe. What, what was your feeling when you had the popularity of the Bulls and the league was very popular, the generals, I used to go to general games, the 40,000 plus in their stadium, the bandits used to draw very well. Hell, the Orlando Renegades used to draw 25,000 people at their games. What was your initial thought when there was a push to go to the fall league? I kind of stayed out of the politics of that, to be honest with you. I was a general manager at that point. Sometimes I had to appear on Fred's behalf at some of the league meetings. Uh, it was rare, but occasionally I had to. And of course, he would verse me on what the itinerary was, and I would vote accordingly to, to what he wanted uh, voted on in, in his absence. But I paid more attention to what was going on in Jacksonville rather than what was going on with the league. In regards to answer your question, not to avoid it, I don't know all the, the finites of it, but I thought we were a little too soon, quite frankly. Uh, I think we could have established ourselves for another year. Uh, that's personal opinion. I, you know, again, that wasn't my money on the table. So, you know, my personal opinion is I would like to see that wait a little longer, but uh, that wasn't what they chose to do. So that wasn't up to me. Carl Peterson, I was talking to him and, and players like Bart Oates and, and, and other players felt like, you know, we, we got pretty good teams. Bobby Abair certainly felt the Panthers could, could challenge the Lions at that time. And they were very popular. Talk about the talent level uh, in, in the USFL, and could they have competed against NFL uh, teams at that time? Well, think about all the colleges, the three that we just alluded to, Florida State, University of Florida, University of Georgia. That's just three schools, all right? Look at the plethora of schools all across the nation that graduate seniors every year. You know, somewhere between 15 and 20% of every college team graduates each year and, and is open to become part of the pro league. And there's only one NFL to support all that cast. Think about the guys. Think about guys like uh, Tom Brady that are drafted in the third or fourth round. Uh, think about that. 
how many guys that that were that weren't drafted didn't get a chance to try out that would have been Hall of Fame players on down the road if they could have sustained themselves and kept coming back to try out until they caught on with the team and got that foothold. I don't believe that just the top college talent makes up the world of professional football. I think that there's a lot of players that are caught that are that would become pro players and do a better job in the pros than they did in college, myself included, if they had the opportunity. So what this gets down to is how many seniors uh, graduate each year from colleges and, and leave the team that don't ever get a chance in professional football. So to answer your question, I think there's enough quality players over a one to three year period to stock an entire second pro football league without any problem and have quality football. That's what it comes down to is, do you have quality football? If you don't have quality football, you don't put 72,000 people in the stadium. You might one time, but then you can't, you can't repeat that. Look at our record at Jacksonville. Those folks showed up between 60,000 and 70,000 people showed up week after week consecutively. You don't get that without having quality football. And the USFL proved one thing for sure. There is enough talent to go around. Now, it might raise the price of, of obtaining that talent, certainly. Well, that's, that's the U.S. That's how it works. But there's enough talent there to do it. That's my point. That was proved, proven by the USFL in our, in our tenure. And, and uh, the final days of the USFL were tough to take at the time. Uh, uh, it was, I was really sad to see it go. And when I heard the news about possibly the USFL coming back, I, I was very excited about that. But so, was are, yeah. so was I. So was I. But 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 there are issues and there are uh, legal issues. And then we're bringing in uh, Nicholas Maddish to, to come in and, and talk about that. Um, the average football fan or USFL fan is thinking, oh, no, not another trial for, for the USFL. I, I just want to see those logos run on the field, Nick. Uh, please tell me there's going to be some kind of agreement here, please. Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean. I, I certainly uh, I, I certainly hope we can uh, come to a good resolution. I mean, as as Larry said, like, you know, he was excited to see the league uh, start again. And I think that would be great. The, the, the issue is, is that Fox doesn't like the, the they don't want it to be the the old league, I guess, or they sort of do. They wanted to take it and not pay anything for it uh, and make a lot of money off of uh, the, the work that guys like Larry did without uh, without acknowledging uh, and honoring the history that was there. They, they thought they could, uh, you know, as as uh, one of their lawyers put it, uh, pick something up out of the trash can and uh, and take it. But I, I don't think that's uh, I, I don't think that's what the USFL was or that's where it was. It was in the, you know, the, the hearts and memories of all the fans and, and the, the guys that, that built it. No, it absolutely, absolutely is. And uh, I know other names have been involved before Fox, Jamie Quadra. I actually met with him down in San Diego, Fred Bolitnikoff Jr. Another gentleman by the name of Mike Dwyer were involved. What is, what is the process when, when a entity, I guess, ceases to, to work and then somebody else coming in and taking over? Is it like a house with squatters rights? Or are we talking something totally different here? 
Well, th- this is a uh, that that is not what was going on here. Here, the the folks associated with the USFL, um, you know, continued to use the marks, uh, you know, from the 1980s and continued to uh, to to sell goods and and make movies and authorize books uh, related to the USFL. And that's that's what matters is that there were it was a continuing enterprise. But I mean, even if uh, even if they hadn't. What you're not allowed to do uh, under the law is tell the country, tell the fans that you are the original USFL when you have absolutely no connection to them. Um, you know, if uh, if you want to, you know, name a football league, you can name a football league, uh, but you can't tell you can't tell people that you used to have Hall of Fame players uh, when you didn't have a football league at all, let alone one with Hall of Fame players in it. So how many former owners or GMs, I know Carl Peterson on that list, are in this uh, in this uh, lawsuit against uh, against Fox? So we've got uh, 10 of the former owners um, and then Larry is uh, helping out as our uh, as our spokesman um, and uh, and help getting us kicked off, uh, you know, start starting the entity that's uh, that holds all the IP rights to the to the old league. And um, but we've got uh, we've got reps from the invaders, the uh, the stallions, the uh, the showboats, um, the the Panthers. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got the bulk of the teams uh, represented. And uh, and of course, the former executive director of the league, um, the, the the last one that sort of continued managing its affairs after the league stopped playing, uh, uh, Steve Earhart, he, he's been um, he's been using the marks for reunions and uh, the other owners have over the decades been, ref- you know, whenever someone wanted to use the uh, the IP of the USFL or, or do something official with the USFL than directing people to Steve. And so Steve has, uh, Steve has actually been um, uh, on behalf of the, the league uh, selling a official licensed USFL merchandise for, uh, for more than a decade. So, so Larry, when you, when you heard that this was going on, what, what, what was your initial thought? Like, Oh, this sounds good, but it's not too kosher. Basically, uh, was your initial reactions? So something stinks in Denmark, right? <laughs> well, it didn't at first. I thought, what a great thing! It's coming back, and uh, you know, I right away pictured the original folks. I pictured uh, Bullard and the other owners coming together and starting the thing back up. And I was, you know, hopefully new blood coming in. And like I said, I was sitting by the phone. It'd be fun to see that come up again because what a great time! There are even more. Uh, quality players being available today than there were than there was 20 or 30 years ago. So the talent is there to do it, to be a competitive league and come back up again and, you know, put 70,000 people in there from different backgrounds. It, you know, I, that, I was very enthusiastic. And then I heard it wasn't that group. <laughs> and uh, that kind of shocked me that, uh, you know, I just, uh, well, I, you know, I, I'm second generation uh, Hungarian kid from Ohio. You know, I grew up in this country, I was born and grew up in this country. And the way I saw things happen as I grew up, I just assumed that when they said, when I heard that the USFL was coming back, that it was the real USFL that was coming back. I didn't think about someone else just pulling a whole new vehicle into that, into that space without some collaboration, without some, some agreement. And so it kind of shocked me. And then when, when I spoke, uh, they, they, some of the fellows called me and said what was going on. I was as appalled as anyone. 
And the minute they said they needed a spokesperson, I put my hand up. I'd be happy to do that because I was there. I saw it happen and I saw how much work went into it, how much value. If you just, if that was just a flash overnight thing that, that didn't have a lot of work and hard work and plotting and getting together and conspiring how to get, how to get these folks all together and then turning out 72,000 and turning out quality football. That's why that 72,000 went on is you put a quality product. We proved that you could put a quality product on the field with a number of, of uh, college graduated players that were available to put on the field that you could inspire an entirely another league because there's that much talent available. Think of all the young men that got that, the ones you alluded to obviously, and some went on to be the hall of famers. But just think how many other fellows got a shot, got a time to get on a pro field and walk out. They played pro football in the USFL and were proud of it. Uh, that doesn't just go away. That doesn't just fade into the night. It's still there and it's still recognizable and it will turn people out again. And we're talking with Larry Zonka, Hall of Fame running back, uh, MVP of, of Super Bowl eight as the uh, Miami Dolphins crushed the Minnesota Vikings. Larry had 145 yards. Larry, you know, the last time a running back won MVP in the Super Bowl is 1998. Why is Why do you think the game has changed so much? And we'll get back to the USFL versus Fox in a second. But, but I have to ask you that question. I have you on here. I don't know when I'm going to get the chance to talk to you again. I've got one name for you to answer that question right away. Don Shula. Remember when he was uh, our head coach, Don Shula was head of the rules committee. Um, you know, soon after uh, Super Bowl eight, I think he became one of the chief guys for the rules committee. I, I might be an error in that. We have to check it, make it. But I, I heard that he was. And having been an old defensive back, he liked to see the passing game develop, uh, you know, uh, the power running game put us, gave us an undefeated season. It was a major uh, component in the undefeated season, and he wouldn't trade that for anything. But Shula always believed, I, I, and I'm speaking on his behalf without, you know, I know he was a defensive back, and he loved to watch the passing game. He loved to see the ball go down the field. He liked to see that. And I think the fans enjoy that. And I think that's, uh, if you see <clears throat> how the game has changed, I think it's changed directly as a response to him initiating um, rules that suggest that the receivers can't uh, be hit after they've gone one or two yards down the field. I, I recently watched the game the last few years. I watched Bronkowski, the great tight end from New England, run downfield seven or eight yards and then run directly across the, the field from side to side across the field about 10 yards behind the, beyond the line of scrimmage. And I thought to myself, if there was a guy named Ray Nitschke or Dick Butkus or Willie Lanier out there at middle linebacker, Bronkowski would have never made it from left to right. He'd have been six inches shorter by the time he went across there because they would have just taken him down before he ever got a chance to catch a football. They'd have knocked him silly. But see, that rules change right there. Just that rule, that one rule right there suggests that the passing game has been enhanced now, what has that done for the game? It's made it more competitive, certainly. You know, back when you the game you alluded to, Super Bowl, Minnesota Vikings that year, 73. Ball control was a thing. You took the ball and controlled it for an entire quarter or two-thirds of it and took it down the field and scored. You ran the clock out so the other team couldn't come back. 
But in today's game, with those rules changes that I alluded to, you can be down by 20, perhaps 20 points or more at halftime and still make a comeback because the, the offense is capable of striking so fast with these new rules changes. Now, what's that done to the game? It certainly hasn't, it hasn't demoralized the fans. They show up in quantity because it's easy to understand when a ball is thrown and a fellow runs and catches it, you understand what happened. The intricacies of the running game is much more complicated. So our fans appreciate the fact that it's open and easy to understand and they get very enthusiastic about it, makes the game more sensational. So if you're talking about from then till now, those are the major changes. But that's a good thing because it keeps the public interested without necessarily having to memorize the rule book in their head. You can see it, you know what's happened. When you see a power running game, to understand the intricacies of that game, you have to have either been a running back, a lineman, or at least been, been affiliated with the team to understand how that all coordinates and how tough it is. When a ball is thrown and caught, self-explanatory. I think Sorry, of Vince Lombardi. I tangent there. I, no, I'm that's so all right. I think of Vince Lombardi. You got a seal here and a seal here. Well, it brings to the fact of the popularity of football, and that's why we're having this conversation today because people want more football. Uh, USFL had an 18-game schedule. We've seen the NFL go to 17 games. So, so Nick, when when you first had conversations, but so how did you get from the spot where everybody made the awareness, you know, something's not kosher here? to contacting you, Nick, and your conversations with Fox. Tell us, give us a little insight in that. I know you can't give too much because it's we're in the courts here, but um, give us give us some insight on that. Yeah, so th this, actually, the, this actually started basically as soon as uh, Fox made their announcement. Um, Steve Earhart, uh, the, the league executive director, he, he reached out to Fox basically immediately, multiple times saying, you know, hey, what are you guys doing here? And they they brushed him off. Then uh, the 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 former owners and some other folks got together with uh, one of the uh, the league's former lawyers and sent a letter to the Spring League, which was the entity uh, um, registering uh, some of the team name marks, and said, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" And they said, "You know, they brushed him off again." And at that point, only you only had the USFL. Uh, the, the announcement they were going to use the USFL March. We didn't know what team names they were going to use. But even after, you know, being asked twice what's going on and being, you know, rejected, uh, the, um, the Fox went ahead and uh, made their announcement where they, they talked about how they're going to use all the old team names too. Um, so if anyone, if there was any doubt that they were trying to appropriate the legacy of the, the original league, um, it, it certainly became clear then. Um, so uh, then, then after that is when, uh, is when uh, my firm started to get involved. And, and, and what, where do we where do we go from now? We're, we're talking weeks away from kickoff, April 16th. The generals play the stallions. Oh, where do where do we stand? What's what? Yeah. So soon? we uh, we have filed a, a complaint in the in uh, federal court in Los Angeles, where the where Fox is headquartered. And uh, we have uh, we are asking the judge uh, for a preliminary injunction, uh, meaning asking the judge to uh, tell them they have to stop using our name and, and our legacy. Uh, Fox is more than welcome to move ahead with its own football league, but they need to call it the Fox Football League or something like that. Or they need to come and talk to us. 
um, because you know we're, we'd be happy to uh, help them build the, the legacy and the history of the league. Um, like Larry said, he was excited. I think all the owners were sort of uh, a mix of excited and puzzled, um, but uh, at, at the possibility of uh, of uh, of continuing to build what they what they did in the 1980s. But um, the, we're going to get a ruling from the judge on our preliminary injunction motion, and then uh, uh, hopefully we'll uh, um, you know that will make Fox uh, come to the table or decide to use their own name. Uh, this might not be a fair question, but. What do you, what do you want, Larry? What do what do the other owners want ultimately from from Fox? Well, I can't speak on behalf of the owners. I'm not one. I I was paid by the USFL when I was there. Was very happy about it. But I'm sure they want some recognition, and I want I'm sure they want to own their name. So it's as far as I'm concerned, it's fairly obvious. Uh, there was a tremendous enthusiasm. We'd like to see that enthusiasm come back, and certainly would would like to be a part of it. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Michigan Panthers, you know, taking the field and not having Bobby Abair or Anthony Carter on, on the sidelines or the generals without Herschel Walker or Doug Flutie, uh, certainly not. So, so, so Nick, uh, so what, what do you think, what do you think that, that Fox will make an uh, a agreement here or cause they're, they're up against it here. They're, they're under the deadline here. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I can't speak for Fox, obviously I don't represent Fox. Um, but the, uh, what we're, I mean, we're, we're excited if someone wants to invest money in, in our name and our legacy that, that we built and have been continuing to use over the years because they, they, they recognize the value that, that we've recognized in it. That's fantastic. But what we won't stand for is someone just coming in and taking it from us, much less uh, uh, taking it and telling us we can't use it because, you know, we, we've been doing, uh, we've been selling merchandise under the market. To, to USFL fans and Fox started uh, you know, writing threatening letters to, to the people that were making the t-shirts for us. And that's, you know, that's entirely inappropriate and, and ridiculous that we would have to stop using our name so that they can, uh, so that they can use it and be the only people to make a money, make money off of it. Uh, law cases and decisions are based on, you know, you know uh, pre, uh, other cases. So it's kind of like a, uh, you, you look back and see, oh, this, this case for this case. So you, so lawyers reference that. Um, should people of, that have copyrights and intellectual property uh, and, and other such things be, be concerned about the, the verdict here? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, I, I think, uh, I think they should, if you have a, you know, if you have a brand uh, that you've built and you've continued to use um, and someone else, you know, thinks it's valuable, like is a big company going to come and say, well, we're going to spend more money on it than you are. So uh, we think uh, we're the ones that deserve to take it. That, that's not how the law works. There's actually a, a number of cases where this kind of thing has happened, where uh, a, a mark has been used or someone thought it would be profitable to take over the the identity of a of a historic business. Um, there was a, a case actually uh, in the, the same court that we're in, uh, where one construction company decided to tell the world that it uh, was the same construction company that built the Hoover Dam because you know the Hoover Dam's a big deal. Um, and uh, well, it turns out they had nothing to do with the company that built the Hoover Dam, and that company or its predecessor came and uh, told them, "Hey, you need to stop." And the judge said, yeah, what are you doing? You can't tell people you built the Hoover Dam when you didn't. Well, you know, guys like Larry, they built the Hoover Dam of football and uh, Fox now wants to take it. And that's just outrageous. 
Well, uh, talking about, you know, big deals and we'll wrap things up here, Larry. And, and thank you so much, Nick, for your time. And we'll watch eagerly with, with the case here, but Larry, uh, just for football fans, love talking to the old timers and not calling you an old timer, but the good, <laughs> we'll, 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 right. we'll call it the glory days, right? The glory days. How, how important and, and talk about that Dolphins team. You went to three straight Super Bowls, you know, you know, one, two back to back Super Bowl MVP. Uh, and to talk about that undefeated season, that is that still special to the guys? Well, it's about as special as you can get. That's the, uh, the ultimate summit. There's only one team standing on that mountaintop, and it's uh, and a great thing about it, the really just outstanding thing about it, is whether it was Bob Greasy or Charlie Babb. Charlie Babb was a first-year uh, first guy that played on special teams and got into the games once in a while, but he made a play against Cleveland late in the season that made, made the perfect season the perfect season. So if you contrast just those two guys, it gives you an idea of what it's like to be on the perfect team because – no matter whether you were a starter and a star or whatever, or you were a guy that just got in there to punt the ball once in a while or got in on, on third and short for one play and came out, you were a part of something that was perfect. And if you take that part, your part out, you lose the title. You lose the crown because there's only been one team to go the entire distance from the first game to the championship in the first 100 years. The NFL recognized that recently. So when you talk about what it's like to be part of that team, it doesn't matter whether you were the starter, whether you were Mr. Bonacani, or, or whether you were Charlie Babb. You know, a rookie coming in and making a great play in one game, was that, that's as important to the title as anyone else's contribution in the long run. And that's a great equalizer and an understanding of what teamwork and football is all about. And that's what went into that team. And it must be hard for you over the years to lose guys. Of course, Don Shula, Nick Bonacani recently, Jim Kick. It's, it's got to be hard for, to lose these teammates and, and dear friends over the years. Well, that's life. That's what happens. And uh, I'm, I'm very uh, thankful to be still standing, being able to talk about those great fellows. That, uh, it is tough to go on and see them uh, go by the side. Uh, uh, it's fun. I tell you what's really fun is when the remainder of fellas get together and sit down and start to have a beer and talk about what we went through and what it was like to be coached under those coaches, particularly Don Shula in that time, in that frame and what he, uh, what he meant to that team and uh, what he meant to us. He was a, he was a great, great coach and had some really great deep insight for what makes pro football what it is today. And on behalf of football fans, what you guys do leave everything on the field. It's, it's important to us. We, we love the game and we respect the players that have um, given so much like yourself. And, and for me, it, it is an honor. And I was, didn't grow up a dolphin said it is an honor to be talking to you and I appreciate everything you did. And I hope you get another cruise line commercial. I remember you did that cruise line commercial <laughs> when you, when you were exercising, I mean, we can't get enough Larry Zonka and we need to, you know, give our running back some respect. And I just want to thank you and thank you for the USFL. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure for me to work on the book and hear all those great stories. And, and thank you so much, Larry hall of fame, running back, Super Bowl MVP, two time Super Bowl champion. Thank you so much for joining me today, Larry. Thank you.